here. All right. Uh, what do I need to do? I need to log in on Twitch. That's a good idea. And go to us. Wow, could you imagine already having a chat open? All right. From uh, from last week, <laughs> I have so many tabs. No, I, I I know I know how that is. Um. Uh, are you are you about good to go live? Yeah. All right. And then we are going to go live. Uh. uh do do. do. Uh, nope, that's the wrong one. We're going live, uh, and we're transitioning to our faces. And, uh, oh, hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Tavern Keeper. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks know what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we talk about games. And in a rare turn of events that is not all that common for oh hey would you look at this we have a, we have a good friend hello Orion uh, in a rare turn of events that is not all that common for our our podcast we get to talk about an original game that I designed I designed a video game um, yeah there's a bunch of backstory that I will talk about a little bit when it comes to this uh, but uh, yeah so we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about Tavern Keeper which is a prototype sort of what we're calling it um sort of like a demo game that we made at the end of last year in the last two weeks of december uh and i like did the design for it and the narrative for it and uh it's on itch.io and game jolt i'm sure in the description if you're listening to the podcast and we could put up like a link or something if you're in chat um to the game so yeah yeah uh so uh, so you, you, you mentioned that this is part of, uh, a hackathon, at least you, you mentioned it at one point. Uh, do you want to, do you want to talk about like the, the history behind this and like how, how it came to, to exist? Yeah. Like, so when we got into the holidays, it was like, you know, people are always taking time off in the holidays. It, our quarter four was very quiet. We didn't have any new releases or anything like that. Um, we're just kind of like doing upkeep on a bunch of different on a bunch of different titles. And so we floated the idea that we would host a game jam, which is sort of like a hackathon in that sense. Yeah. Um, a game jam in a traditional sense is like at a convention and you'll get like a weekend or something. You get like two days where you and a group of people get together and you just like make a, yeah, like like make a, a game that out of that. Yeah, like a hackathon except not game. Not game exclusive. Also, yeah, I guess I, I've actually never hackathons. heard the term hackathon. I'm just assuming. Uh, <laughs> we actually sort of based this on, do you know the Riot Games Thunderdome? I'm not familiar with that, no. I think that is a hackathon that they call a Thunderdome. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that, what they do is they, like, split people up into teams and they work on things, right? So, like, so, for instance, in the LCS broadcasts, there's, like, a team fight view that you can go to that was a result of the thunder tomb i just remember i read like an article about this and i was like oh we should like do that right um and uh, and i assume that a hackathon is sort of like the tech company version of this yeah basically it's it's, it's usually okay. like web dev stuff and like you know there's less artists and more ux designers i guess um uh or you know more program managers um uh, but yeah it's basically the same thing yeah, so for us, it was uh, – so for us, we we thought of this as like a game jam, right? Um, in the final two weeks of the year, we kind of just said, you know, not, not your whole shift, right? Like 15 hours 
spend that working on like working on this game we had a pitch like where everybody just submitted pitches everybody voted on pitches and then we kind of like broke up into teams based on uh like based on those pitches so my pitch was for tavern keeper essentially though the pitch itself was actually a little bit different than what the final game hold on i can actually like look this up really quickly um was actually different than what the final game uh ended up being my pitch said that it's an economic sim you're a tavern keeper in a generic fantasy setting running a local tavern as adventurers come through they pay you for leads on nearby adventures like local bandits or goblins in a cave to get those leads you need to buy them off patrons get them drunk enough to tell you or eavesdrop on their conversations you get paid a percentage of the loot that comes when the adventurers come back like a finder's fee so you need to give the right leads to the right parties so that they have a higher chance of success a party with a cleric will do better against undead for instance that was the pitch which was like at the beginning of december right then we actually started working on the game very quickly that pitch changed a lot in order to sort of like meet the demands of uh like a a two-week 15-hour prototype yeah Yeah, exactly uh and we ended up with the tavern keeper that you can play today that you've played yes that i've played also but you know (laughs) you specifically have also played and made a high score well yeah I, i beat the designated high score i did not I did not attempt to yeah, push for a high score because there's, there's risk involved. Do you um, want to know what the high score is right now? What is it? 7,200. Somebody uh, in the, I, I don't know who that is. Somebody just in the emails pushed it to 7,200. I was like, holy crap. So so the thing I, I, I got to know, though, is, is – and this is maybe a little bit too inside baseball to start out with, but 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 I'm going to ask it anyway – it, sure. How much how much randomness is part of is part of these like are the outcomes deterministic or can you get lucky because if you can get lucky those the upper end of those scores is gonna have a very thin tail if that makes you sense. can get lucky it is random and it is built to be like repeatable so for instance um, something that I tried to avoid or that I didn't want to happen was to have the outcome be easily readable. In, a, in another version of this, I would want this to be more easily readable, but in a version where you're constantly churning quests, I don't want you to be able to detect how appropriate someone is for a mission based on one mission completion. It should actually be kind of an aggregate of a couple of sure. them, right? So you might be sending someone on a great mission for them, but they will come back with a poor result. But like what you will see if you try it multiple times is in aggregate they will perform sort of better. Because the churn of the of the quests is so fast, it only takes a minute, they come back after a minute. Um <clears throat> I feel like there's a like a lot of room for people to kind of like express that. Uh it's uh, a die roll, by the way, in the back end. It's essentially a uh you know, it's like a percent chance of this thing happening. And then depending on who you assign to what, you are affecting the mission parameters. So okay. you're expanding the amount that you might critically succeed, you're uh lowering the the amount that you might fail, that kind of thing. Yeah. And and uh, you know, and again, this is not this is not a criticism, just like some some of like like it's it's fairly opaque. Um, right? Like um there's things like like the um, the dragonborn that's like a, a religious person, right? Like it doesn't yes. say. I don't think it says anywhere explicitly that he's good against the dead, but I made that assumption. And then in my mm-hmm. first game, he died a lot, and so like, <laughs> uh, or like he, he failed a lot and then he died, and so like I was like, hmm, maybe I'm wrong about that. And the other part of this too is that like there's, like, like 
this is probably just illusion, but I thought there might be like a general competence factor in there. Cause like, I thought the Dragonborn guy was just generally bad at everything. And the gnome hunter was generally good at everything. <laughs> there is not a general competence factor huh. actually. Interesting. Uh, it is, it is all, it is all context there. There actually, I think there is. So you read the dialogue, right? Or was one of the dialogues not about him being good against undead? Um, so to be fair, I read it relatively quickly. Um, and I was sure. I was kind of like looking hunting for so the only reason that I questioned whether or not it was good against undead was because he seemed to be failing a lot of them. I was like, well, I guess he said he was holy, and maybe I just made that assumption. But I was also trying to read it quickly, right? Because you're on the clock, right? Like if yeah. if, if I had really wanted to, to dominate this, I would have taken out a notebook and then the first play, like so I kind of did this. The, my first playthrough was mostly like reading the dialogue and then I restarted. But if I really cared, I would have sat down with a notebook, right, taking notes on all of them in the first playthrough totally not cared about it, right? And then gone back and tried to, to churn as fast as possible. Also, maybe we have taken notes about the uh, the quest because they, they repeat um, to know, uh, you know, no, no surprise. Like, you know, that's, that's, again, not a not a criticism. I understand. Yeah. With, with, I mean, there's only, you know, there's only so much time. Well, so th this is part of the, the original thing is we eventually settled on this sort of high score timed version of it, which like, you know, imagine a world where Tavern Keeper gets like fully, you know, like we... Be, it becomes a game that would be stuff that i would want to take out immediately basically right because i don't think that it's actually like good for the game but it's good for the prototype because it right. creates a real sort of like impetus to to work the system i also think that i would change a lot of the back end sort of stuff because a lot of that stuff works because you churn so much but in a world where you wouldn't churn as much or as hard i would probably be like this wouldn't this this needs to be like these numbers need to be different yeah like yeah. really you're doing longer term stuff you want it to be you want it to be more short right like you don't want to commit something yeah. to 12 hours to have it miss because of a die roll right like like yeah I, exactly so, um for context my initial take on this is this is like command desk the standalone game which you which you confirmed is like pretty similar command desk being a feature from world of warcraft you send people out and on time skills like that i think it needs to be a lot more deterministic than, than this yeah so interestingly World of Warcraft is sort of the like the the genesis of all this, but it's from a different piece. There's actually two quests in WoW where you serve as a quest giver, right? Where you get like a little exclamation mark over your head and people come up and give you quests. One of them is in Hills, Brad, Foothills. The other one's in High Mountain. Um, and I just sort of like thought about that like interaction when I when we were just like sitting down for these pitches and I was like thinking, oh, like what would I pitch? And I was just like, wouldn't it be interesting to create a game where it was about your skill as a quest giver rather than your skill as an adventurer right yeah there's there's a couple of games that also play in this kind of general space it's, it's, they're they're item shop games it's like i think reseteer yeah. is the biggest one reseteer was a huge one reseteer i told everybody immediately i was like this is like reseteer but for quests instead of items <laughs> yeah no it, it uh it's uh it's it, it's definitely it's definitely a cool concept um obviously like and and uh so if you had like, you know, let's say, you know, Akapara is like, you know, buddy, this was really popular. Uh, we're going to give you, you know, $30 million to, to build this game <laughs> in like three years. What, what would like the, the biggest version of this look like, do you think? I actually think it would look sort of like XCOM maybe. Um, I think the pie in the sky version of this actually has you managing the adventurers on their quests, like okay. as a tactics game. Um, that said, I do think it's important that the characters are real characters, and that drives the number of them down in a way that you can't really do that with XCOM. Like in XCOM, 
you could just generate as many soldiers as you want. And certain of your soldiers kind of create emergent personalities outside of their gameplay, right? Uh, but for, like, the most part, right, like, most of them don't really have that sort of thing. Right. I feel like nine was a good number, and I'm glad that we hit that number. We were originally thinking, thinking six, and I was like, I don't think this works at six. I think you have to have nine to give people enough room for, for like the churn and for the the different sort of like quests and stuff to kind of uh, to kind of work out. But anyway, um, but I would probably want to expand that number to like, I don't know, maybe double it, triple it, eighteen, twenty-seven. Twenty-seven seems like a lot. But it might be, but it might be worth it, especially as like you know the idea that like you're picking up more stuff over time. Because another thing is is that like the high score stuff is mostly just because we scoped down really hard. Because right. it's just like you can't, you know, in an ideal world, I'd want gold to be actual currency, right? That you are upgrading your bar or you are, you know, like using it to do to accomplish whatever sorts of things you need to right. accomplish, right? Um, and uh, and I think that that also sort of interacts with some of these things because that creates sort of like a progression system, right? If you have a – maybe you start with nine adventurers and they all suck and you can progress them out of suckage, right? But as you upgrade the bar, you can also attract new, better adventurers in sort of thing. Um, and maybe that'd be cool. Maybe that'd be interesting. Um, I've always liked games like uh, – Pillars of, I was about to say Path of Exile, Pillars of Eternity, which are sort of like yeah, the yeah, we... you are managing a D&D game party, yeah. right, games. Um, but imagine that sort of thing where the party changes every time and you just sub in and out of, like, individual encounters rather than, you know. So, sounds almost else. like Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, yeah. Or that, that kind of like, you know, the, the Tactics JRPG is kind of like its own genre. Fire Emblem genre. is also kind yeah, yeah. of like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's 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 really cool because like that makes a lot of sense, right? Like that that, that makes sense. It's like a way that this evolves out because just from the outside looking in, like the thing that it reminded me a lot of is kind of like a variant on those like uh, the one that I played a lot of is like Cookie Clicker, but like those like Hero Clicker type games. It's not exactly that, but it's like in that same kind of like um, uh, Gestalt maybe, right? Like um, <laughs> this could be like a mobile uh, AFK game. <laughs> Um, in a, yeah, in a way. yeah. With, with, you know, with a I mean, I, I, I think that's how it works in in World of Warcraft, which is nice. But though, one of the things that's interesting about WoW is that you can um, change the reward structure by quite a lot. This is like another. Th I like the only thing the the quest can give you is gold. The only thing they right. cost is gold, and I can change the parameters, right? Certain quests require certain types of adventurers. Certain quests just have different kind of, like, back-end numbers, right? Um, like, there's one of them that has a very low investment, but it has a super hardcore payout if you can crit success it. But otherwise, it just sort of doesn't do anything, and it's sort of like a waste of your time in a way. So it's kind of like a jackpot quest compared to something that has a, a meager payout, but also like a risk of killing your guy. Like, there's there's a lot of that kind of stuff in the back end on the quests, but... um. There isn't a lot of stuff where, which is like player facing, where you know, like the quests are returning anything else than just sort of nebulously large amounts of gold to yeah. then fund for you know future quests. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was basically like because it's like so speed based because of the the, the time component, right? Like, um, I was I was like like barely like trying to absorb as much as I could in as little time as possible, right? So like mm. like. Even remembering who was on what quest was tough to do, kind of like, you know, juggling that all in my in, in, in my head. Um, 
usually just kind of fell out and I was, uh, um, I was like, okay, the, like I sent, I sent, uh, Colbjorn on a quest with animals cause he said, talked about animals a lot. And so when he came back and he succeeded, it was an animal quest. And that's like about as, as good as, is is uh, tight of a, of a filter as I could put on it, except for like, you know, occasionally I would try and like remember individual things. Cause I was trying to see if like, Oh, this, this works or this doesn't, but it's, yeah, that was one thing that when I was playing the final build, Last week, I was like, I wish I had, because I have a serious kind of moment as I'm sending somebody on a quest, right, where I am, like, making an informed decision to assign them to that quest, but I want to see a better version of connecting the end state of that quest to sort of the first state of that quest, right? Because, like, a lot of the times I would get people who come back in, and I could tell... I, I mean, obviously, I wrote it, right? Like, I could tell the difference between the crit success, the success, the failure, right? Obviously, the lethal failure um, dialogues as they were coming back in. But it's like, a minute after I put somebody out on a quest, I anticipated that I would be able to connect the dots. The truth is, I never made it. It's just it's like, I would put somebody out on a quest and be like, oh, they came back, that's great. F- what did I put them on? I don't quite remember. Sometimes I would, because, like, the, the decision-making... You know, because like, the, and this is where I think the the game surprised me the most was how interesting the strategic decision making became towards who was going on what quests when I was making those sorts of decisions. As I had a, you know, I had a good understanding of kind of what the quest sort of like looked like, and over time I got a good understanding of like, okay, who. You know, the Tower of Crackling Doom, this is a spoiler, I guess. The Tower of Crackling Doom is a quest built for Gonder. He is great at that quest, right? Um, and I got into this weird position, because you can only have four quests up at a time, right? Where it's like, the Tower of Crackling Doom procs, but Gonder's not in, in the tavern. So, do I sit on it and wait for him to get there so I have the highest sort of, like, percent chance win winner? strategy on um on the tower of crackling dune or do i send it on somebody who is like not as good as gondor but still like like serviceable right if you send any of the casters on tower of crackling doom they are going to do a good job because it is a caster mission um and and i think that that's like interesting i don't really have a great answer for it right like where what i should be doing how i should be turning through the different the different quests do i want to save these quests so i can get these kind of like slam dunk moments or do i want to not save them and you know like like uh just kind of make compromise decisions all the time just in the interest of getting somebody out there yeah i mean part of part of that's a a function of like chance too right like you know, it's like, well, who's next guy going to be back in and like how, you know, how long, how long am I going to have to wait? Do I have to like, you know, do I need to like clear another slot, right? Like, you know, like am I just going, if I'm going to sit here for like 30 seconds doing nothing, I probably need to throw someone in there, right? Like, um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's interesting kind of like the divergence points in the game too, right? Because like the first like two minutes of the game are a little bit slow because like you assign everybody and then you have to wait for somebody something to come back in and you're like running out of money but like very mm-hmm. quickly past that you just just like you're you're throwing things out as, as fast as you can right like you know you have to make snap decisions and that's also around the point where you kind of like i think even out on your first playthrough you kind of like have seen most of what's there so you can start like making those those assignments without like thinking too hard about it yeah, that's why I chose the number 3,500, because I was like, that's an, I think most people will miss that their first time and get it the second, 
Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, people will take the first time to learn the mechanics, read everybody's dialogues or whatever, get an understanding of the quests kind of at a glance, and then the second time, if they're making okay decisions, not maybe the best, the, the top-level decisions, but okay decisions, they're probably going to hit 3,500. Mm. Well, that's that, that makes sense to me. Um, it's... I know it was. It was like I was afraid of um, because you have to spend the money to get out there, right? Like I hit that thirty five hundred with like four minutes left. I'm just, I just like put down. You know, I was like, I you know, <laughs> took a screenshot. I'm done. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is in the chat. Somebody just said shakes fists at the noob trap. Yes, that is the noob trap. In the last, all of the missions take a minute to to go right, and they take money to go out on right. So if you send somebody on a mission in the last minute of yeah, the game, um, they're not going to come back in. You're not going to see that money come back, which I at the time I remember we flagged it and I was like, you know what? I'm fine with that. Right. Like, I think it's OK for people to make decisions like that and then go, oh, I should have done this. I didn't think it through. That's like a that's like a, a strategic sort of decision. But it is sort of like a noob trap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, and just for the folks at home, you, you actually paused for a second there. But if you send people out during the last minute, you won't see the returns. Um, and, you know, I do think that's like a significant UX error because there's like no reason you'd do it. And honestly, my first playthrough, I did it just to see if it would like finish them out for me or not. Right. Because like there's no. Nope, no it idea. does not do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's that's that's like an interesting problem to try and solve, too. Right. Like you just like. Because I, I think ideally the way you would do it, right, like if, if, if I were like designing this from a usability standpoint is at whatever time you want it to end, you just cut it off and you like instant end those missions and you, you do some something to, to – Yeah, uh, I think the real way to do it is to say that every mission on like minute zero, the timer ends, all of your missions complete no matter their duration, right? Right, right. To just have people churning up all the way to like the last uh, to the last second, um, <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I don't know. It's a funny. It's like a funny artifact of it being you know like a game jam game because like there was like stuff like that. I mean that's what I mean about the the strategic thing. I remember when we were talking about doing this like with the four quests and the four adventures in the tavern. I didn't. I I understood on a design level that that would create churn and that I would have to change the numbers, so I did that. Um, but I really didn't anticipate the, like, do I wait with someone in the tavern? Do I try and save a person in the tavern for their best mission? Do I send, so, like, the, all of those compromise choices I was talking about earlier? That's just, like, a true confluence of we had designed sort of three separate systems on top of each other, and I hadn't realized how they were all going to play out until I was in the build playing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think, honestly, that's probably the most fruitful part of the game. Like, the when the game feels its best, it is in those moments where you are making those sorts of strategic decisions. Huh. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I So, I'm, I'm curious, and, and uh, you know, just kind of pulling back the, 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 the curtain... Is like how do how do people how do um, characters respawn back into the tavern? Is that like at a, on a timer or, or some? Uh, I do think it's on the. I actually don't remember. I don't think I specified this. So the other members of my team, I will shout them out here because I didn't earlier and I meant to and I forgot about it. Uh, so the other members of my team was Drew Montemayor on art, Chris Nguyen was our producer, right? Like managing the whole project. Jaden Davis was the programmer and. Um, 
uh, Kyle Holmquist was the writer. He and I, well, there was a lot of writing. He and I split the writing, basically. Um, and I think that was Jaden. I think I just, like, I hadn't specified anything, and Jaden just put 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 the system in there, and he made the number, whatever that number is. So I don't actually know offhand, because I'm pretty sure I just said that, like, when they when they end, they'll come back. But we knew the tavern had a max of four people. I don't know. <laughs> just, uh, there is a cooldown. This is interesting because on the playthrough where I won, I posted a screenshot to, to the Akapar Discord and also to you. Um, I had killed like four or five adventurers at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they were spawning back in more consistently because there was only, like, I don't think that I was actually penalized for them being dead in the, in terms of like being able to churn them. Right. So like, yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah. So it's an, it's, it's not supposed to be a penalty in terms of your capability of output. It's supposed to be a penalty in terms of your, you know, when, when Gondor dies and you proc tower of crackling doom, you no longer have the perfect guy right. for the perfect mission sort of thing. Right. Right. That that's the, sense. that's the penalty of, of lethal, failures as far as i'm concerned that makes sense i mean i i felt it made it easier because i felt that the characters that i had left were ones that i were was more confident about what their abilities were like the the like the charismatic um uh tiefling right like i wasn't quite sure what he was like like stealth maybe and charm but like there didn't seem to be a lot of charm missions and like there was like one mission that was like if you could sneak up on the bear you can stab him right like and that's like those were like the only things that I like matched him super well to, and otherwise it was just kind of like a, a you know a, a dice roll, right? So it's like, and he died. So it was like, well, I'll just put Baron or not Baron, um, uh, Coldbjorn on Coldbjorn? that, yeah, because it's like a, you know, it's the animal mission, him or the orc shaman, um, right? Because I felt I felt like more confident about those. It, it was just like kind of an, an interesting way. To think. I think the orc shaman died in that one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so that's interesting. So I guess should I just say should I just like talk about the the underlying mechanics here and just well, reveal them the, to the is, crowd? Is is the contest? You're going? actually pretty close, to be honest. <laughs> is the contest still ongoing? Uh, I guess technically it is. I don't really know when we're gonna when we're gonna end the contest. So I mean, uh, like, it, the, I, but I don't feel bad. Okay. Like letting people know, it is there are two traits on every character, and there are and they are shared across all of the, all of the different characters, right? There is an advanced trait, which is sort of like their combat role, if you think about it that way. So stealth, for instance, on the illusionist, right? And then there's kind of a um, uh, and then there's their basic trait, which is just like environment, right? So, Colbjorn. Kragen, the shaman, and Turb, the ranger, all share the wilder, no, the hunter trait, which means they are good on wilderness missions, right? And then the illusionist, the inquisitor, and Turb, the ranger, all share the stealth trait, so they are good on stealth missions. And those affect things a little bit differently. Um, I'm pretty sure advanced missions make you crit success more, base, or, um, basic missions make you fail less right okay um which is why you want to like the the perfect match like that gonder match it increases your crit success and lowers your stealth both at both at once but if you send a if you send another caster like craig in the shaman is also a caster on gonder's mission he will still get the, the crit success bump he just won't get the failure reduction does that make sense interesting huh. and i assume and so, crit so it's just a death. matrix of all of those i assume crit failure is death 
It's, it's like when... Uh, so, technically there is no... You can't roll a critical failure. Certain failure conditions are lethal. On certain missions, if you fail, you will die. Okay. Right. Huh. Um, Interesting. And then there are also a couple of... Uh, there's actually a mission where if you succeed, but don't crit succeed, you will die. Very interesting. Huh. Uh, that's that, that is that is this interesting to know. Uh, <laughs> you know. Now that I broke it down, does it does that make it worse or better? Does that change your thought process I, at all? Well, so I mean, it means that Turb is the ideal person for uh for the bear mission, right? Like, Correct. Yeah. Uh, um, and technically, either Kragen or the uh the illusionist are okay for that mission but it actually kind of makes sense that the illusionist died because he's only good at the stealth portion he's not good at yeah. fighting the bear um yeah interesting no so so the one thing i picked up on definitely was was the the cleric the dwarven cleric like hated the wilderness like he like i sent him on an undead mission <laughs> in the wilderness and he like came back and feels like well he's never he's, he's only going to the city it was like the city's the more important part uh, uh yeah so the that was a weird thing because i had originally sort of had uh the wilderness was easy right? right and then i was like i want to do undead and i was like i guess i'll just call those ruins it is like one is one category and then the third category is like urban right which is like bandits it is like thieves or whatever like i think so serathin the spellblade is um the i can't remember the name of the I can't remember the name of the trait is, but it's like the urban trait, and she is best at the mission, the bandit pit, where you just go and you just fight a million fucking bandits, <laughs> oh, uh, because like huh. of the confluence of those two things. See, I I had that totally off since it was like a pit. I thought that was like an outdoor thing, and so I would send Colbjorn regularly to that because he's like, I like to fight, I like being <laughs> outdoors, so. So yeah, I mean, Colbjorn is good at that one, yeah. uh, it, but his is the den of spiders, I think. Well, you just gotta fight a million okay. spiders. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, you know the spell. Serathin, I actually really like because she is also so Sarath So there's the paladin Kishra and Serathin the spellblade, but they both have dialogue that says, "I'm a spellcaster, but I'm not that good a spellcaster. Like, don't send me on caster missions, right?" Which I kind of included as like a red herring a little bit because I I did the dialogue for five of the characters. Kyle did it for the other four. Kishra and Serathin were both my characters. And I remember, you know, two of the dialogues say, two of the dialogue provide you negative information, right? What am I bad at? Two of the two of the dialogue provide you positive information. I'm good at these things, right? Um, and so I specifically included for Kishra and Serathin that they are not, they are competent spellcasters for the purposes of combat, but they are not competent spellcasters for the purposes of, like, solving problems with magic, which is what that bottom row, Kragen, Grimgi, Gondor, those, those are all, like, they have the caster trait. Okay, interesting. See, I, I didn't pick up on that, right? Like, I, so, like, I thought, like, like, I, like, so, I didn't pick up on a, a kind of, like, the, like, the caster kind of trait part of it, right? Like, Mm. Like Sir, Sir Rathrin, or the the, the spellblade, I just was like, it's an, it's a haughty elf that thinks she's good at everything. So you know, go you know I'll and I actually thought she was uh, rolling into the um, uh, the kind that kind of like generally competent kind of thing that I thought that I thought was going on. So I was like, I'll just throw her at anything, whatever. And then um, uh, uh but I did pick up on that for um for the the the, the cat paladin, um, uh, Kishra, yeah, Kishra. 
Um, I also want to note that we have in the we have in the chat, and if you don't read any of the dialogue, then you just guess. You know what? That's fair. <laughs> uh, I mean that, but that's kind of like like you have to do a fair amount of guesswork anyway. But it, but it makes sense, right? Like 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 because the dragon priest, like I, I mentioned this, because the dragon priest is just religious, I kind of assumed it was undead. You know, it, it, there's a whole, it, it's weird what you think happens because of like the, the you know, the die rolls, right? Like, so, like, like mm-hmm. I said, I, you know, I thought there was this competence thing. I thought that, you know, maybe he wasn't, that, like he was just kind of like a schlub because he was, he was also kind of like obnoxious in the bar. He's like, a, I actually kind of had the idea for a competence thing, which is that like, as you, as they complete mission, they essentially get experience, experience over time yeah. and just increase their, they, it was like they decreased their failure rate by 1%, increased their crit success by 1%. Um, so if you think about it, there's crit success on the top, there's failure on the bottom, and then in the middle is success. And you're just slowly kind of – or I'm sorry, you're slowly pushing that down so that you're having more opportunities to crit. But the thing is, is I really wanted critical successes to be the marker that you have done something smart with this character, right? Uh, because it is something that's different. It has, like, its own sort of, like, it has its own particular dialogue thing. Um, I think, in general, it's tough. I, I was... We we threw out the idea initially of just labeling the traits, because then it's just a, make, a mix and match thing, right? You have to make it a little bit opaque in order to, yeah. like, you know, create, that, create the tension of, I'm not quite sure this is the yeah, right yeah. idea. Um, but, it did, but it is, like, interesting, because, like, it's... It's just reading comprehension at that point. It's like a reading comprehension game. Yeah. No, and, and there's there's some I think there's some like like I never put together that the tower was was, was a Gondor thing, right? Like I like mm-hmm. um because like Gondor, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do with him because he like it's one and one of the lines he explicitly says I'm not good at combat. Like I don't like fighting, and it's like, well, what do I send him on then, right? Like, cause like in my mind every mission's like a combat mission at some level, right? Um uh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, that that was the thing that I added to. There's three of them. There's like the Orphan's Graveyard, which is Kragen's mission. There's the Revenant's Puzzle, which is Grimke's mission, and then there's the Tower of Crackling Doom. And all of those, I was trying to like create this feeling of like you need us, you need like an arcane caster to like disable the runes on this thing. Okay. That's how you defeat them. You know, you do the mission. It's not. It's not like a combat thing. It's just a like think about it and cast the right you know if you cast mage hand on this thing it'll i don't know it'll work i guess um because really only only a certain number of those missions were like true i mean there's a difference between like combat and stealth to a certain extent even though they both involve a certain amount of like combat actually uh which i think makes that a little bit confusing like the bear mission is a stealth mission not a combat mission even though presumably it means fighting a bear yeah, 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 yeah. No, that makes yeah. Yeah, there was there was the remnants puzzle was is that the one with like the ghost bard? I think so. Okay. I kind of honestly, I yeah. I wrote I wrote a bunch of these. It was like three a.m. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. No, it's, it was, it's, it's, it's super super interesting to break it down too, just because like I was like uh like just like. Like because that had a bard in it, sometimes they would assign the illusion or like the the tiefling to it because you know bard is charmy, right? Charismatic. He was very bad at that mission. Yeah, no, I, I think yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was another thing. I wasn't sure if that would track, and I don't think it did. Part of it is that I actually think I should have labeled them with clear classes. I was like, 
using the words in the dialogue, but I feel like if it had said, you know, Gondor slash Sorcerer under his portrait every time or whatever, it'd be easier to sort of pick up on those things. Because I think Illusionist reads like Caster, but if you think about it, it actually helped. It's like, it's like oh, this is a stealth guy because he can, you know turn invisible he can make illusions or whatever and the way that he's talking about the missions that he's good at he's like see i never i never i never even picked up that he was like a caster like i thought he like and you know maybe i was just reading too fast but i was just like oh he's he's a rogue and he's like a rogue but he's like a smarmy rogue right so like you know and you know that means stealth and charisma in that sense like okay categorize well so he's technically not a caster he's he's he doesn't have the caster trait he has the shit the herb, whatever the urban trade is called, which is like magic. Sure. Also, I want to note that in the chat, our good friend uh, Don PhD says, but if you send everyone on a caravan mission, they just die. So what good are they actually even good at? Well, the thing about the caravan mission is I'm pretty sure it's bugged. The caravan mission, I'm pretty sure has like a 35% failure rate, but it's not supposed to be lethal. But I think it is lethal in the game build. So if you send people on the caravan mission, they just die all the time, which is which is not intended behavior. Because yeah, so the caravan like, is a trip. Because the caravan was also like, this is easy. Go, you know, you know. Yeah, that's the other thing. The, the caravan mission is specifically the jackpot mission, right? It has a high failure rate, and if you succeed on it, I think you just make your investment back, or maybe it's like it's like, and it's cheap to go on, right? It's like twenty gold yeah. to send out, ten gold to come come in, sort of thing. But if you crit success, you get like five hundred gold. It is a it is a hail mary jackpot trying to get it has no other traits nobody is any more suited at the caravan mission than anybody else um because there's a handful of those that are just sort of like anybody can do these right you know to to fill to fill the the quest log or whatever uh but yeah so 35 percent of the time it it kills you (laughs) watch out for the caravan mission oh jesus I mean, I should probably. I actually haven't told anybody that. I should highlight that so that we could make an updated build. <laughs> because like death is supposed to be a thing, but it is supposed to be like rarer. What the, the biggest danger that I think is in the game as it stands is sending somebody who is not suited for a mission on the like the the traded missions. I don't think there's a death clause in any of the generic ones. Um, Oh, you know but, what? Uh, this but, is why I thought the dragon guy was incompetent. Because I would send him on the caravan mission and he'd die. He'd be like, this is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like those missions, the, the generic missions are there to sort of fill it out so that you're not just constantly working with traits. And if you have somebody and you're not procking a good mission for them, you can send them on something that is not that, right? Um, so like the goblins are like this or whatever. It's just like, it's just a bunch of fucking cops. Go yeah. kill them kind of thing. Um it doesn't really have any more parameters than that, but uh, but yeah, so that's that's rough when it comes to, to the caravan mission. The the worst part about the caravan mission is that it's only twenty gold too, so it's very common that you will be spending down and then you'll have like eighty gold left, and all of your quests will be grayed out except for the caravan mission. <laughs> so the game like you're like, well, it's the only quest left. I better send somebody on it, and then they fucking die. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. Oh man. So so just in terms of like things that I would I would highlight that um uh that I, I didn't think were messaged so well. Like it took me till like halfway through my second game to figure out that there was like 
a critical success modifier just because like I was I was you know because I'm going for a score like I'm just turning fast and because it's not in like the um in the instruction panel it took me a little while to kind of like uh, uh like um observe that especially because when the, the the prompts come in right like the incoming prompts are mostly kind of like you know their time spent trying to read and so i'm mostly just like looking at the gold to see how much it, like if it went up or not and then i just like click through and don't even like interesting read, yeah read the dialogue and this, this is all like a casualty of kind of like you know the needing needing to go faster right needing to press more i need to press more buttons buddy um no, I actually get that quite a lot. I like the idea of there being critical success dialogue, especially because the the generic success dialogue is pretty basic, but the critical success dialogue is more flavorful because it's rarer, obviously, and it is a truer expression of these characters, right? Like, sure. you know, kind of going above and beyond, um, which felt, you know, like, which felt good or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I do agree with you. I, cause, because, crit, you know, like, they are supposed to be rare, especially if you're not gunning for them, right? Like, once you start assigning the right people the right missions, you're going to be seeing critical successes more often, obviously. Um, but... Uh, until that point, it is, uh, I don't know. It's tougher. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, yeah, no, but it's, 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 um, I don't know for, for, a, you said it took you 15 hours or you, you had 15 hours to work on it. Uh, yeah. So I had 15 hours to, uh, the whole team, each individually had 15 hours. So okay. I had my 15 hours and then they had their 15 hours. And the interesting thing is actually that like, I wrote about this in the blog on the Aquapar games website, which ended up being like a lot. I, I went really hard on that blog, you guys, uh, because, um, because in its original conception, I actually didn't type out a lot of this stuff. Like I had that stuff about traits and the adventures and stuff in my head, but at first I just wanted to kind of like create a working prototype, but this actually became pretty problematic for the team because they didn't have like, um, they didn't have a good sense of sort of like the long-term goal. So I was making a decision about scope, right? Like I was trying to keep us contained and not scoping out of control immediately, right? right? But then I had a conversation with Chris, who is the producer, and he was like, listen, it is not your job to worry about scope. Like, you're the designer. You need to design the whole game and show everyone kind of, you know, where we're going. Let me worry about scope. If something is out of scope, I am the one who's going to make that kind of determination, right? Um and so, uh, yeah, and that was a huge, and that was a huge deal. That like, I think that conversation is like the crucial conversation that like really opened up, kind of like the whole the whole thing. Because then I immediately turned. Th- this conversation was on a Friday, and we had a meeting on Monday where everybody was going to get together. We were going to talk about whatever. We had our prototype build. The prototype build did have functionality, but it was just insanely. It was like super super basic. The event the adventurers didn't have any. There were no traits. There weren't even character names at that point, right? Um, and so I spent that weekend, and uh, and I put a bunch of time, and I really laid out the full design document like with all of this stuff that i was like thinking about of like okay nine classes here's the matrix here's basic traits advanced traits here's the here's the different quests that i envision for each of these characters right like all of this other stuff that we um and then uh and then like i said we were gonna have six at first we were like we're, we have to scope it to six but then drew our artist was like actually i think we can do more than that if i just don't do because the, the big bottleneck is always art so because, you know, it'll take me a, a number of amount of time to, like, write the quest dialogue, all this other stuff, right? But at the end of the day, the amount of time it will take Drew to draw these characters, right? And, uh, and like, like color them, put art to them. Um, 
that's the thing that's going to stop us from adding as many characters as we want to this thing. And he was like, I can make a generic sort of like cloaked adventurer just to put in the basic screen but then we can give each of them an individual portrait so you can see their face but you won't see like the rest of their body or whatever which was also a very crucial decision because like i said i think the game would really suck and would not work as well with six but i think nine is kind of the perfect number at least for this like slice yeah basic yeah on with without any sort of progression i think nine is the perfect number yeah no that, that makes that makes a lot of sense hold on yeah yeah, it's, it's interesting. Did you did you enjoy the the art of any of the individual characters? I I thought I thought it was I thought it was great for like a like a MGM style thing, right? Like so, I am used to like I said hackathon type stuff where where all art is programmer art if you even have like art <laughs> so right where it's like something where you're pulling off a shelf for like a web de like you know web dev doesn't have all the same art kind of requirements and like sure. i have done games at hackathons because i'm like that weird guy who like likes games and there's always there's always a couple a couple people like that it was like oh boy we're the people that like you know enjoy game stuff but went into something more practical instead of game stuff so like you, know, you always mm. pull a couple of people but then like the art's always just kind of like stock stuff you pull off of like the unity store or something so um I, you know, I was very impressed, but I also don't live in the, the, the games world, really, so. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I was also very impressed. I think part of it is that, you know, one of the funny things is that the, the Tavern Keeper character, I had in my head this backstory of, like, like you're a an adventurer who goes out and is doing these quests or whatever, but you come back with a ton of gold. What do you spend that gold on? You know, you retire. You buy a tavern, and you're now and you're now sort of like retired. And I remember I was thinking about the you know like these. I, I don't you can't even really see them, but like these things. I think of that as like a mark of kind of like stress and like age or whatever when people these have really pronounced lines what? here. Do you see the lines I'm pointing to what, on my what, face? Like your. Like oh like under your like under your nose. They're like, called sm yeah they're called smile lines. For everybody on the podcast, okay. you cannot see this, and I'm sorry. It is the it is like the line that goes from the edges of your nostrils down to the to the corners edges of your, your like the corners yeah, of your mouth. Yeah. 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 And when those are really pronounced, that like that to me is a physical feature that like says this is someone who's like been around the block, right? Like grandmas have really pronounced smile lines is what they're called and and i told that to drew i was like this I, i'm really looking for smile lines i want deep pronounced smile lines and he absolutely like just hit it it was like done in one right like uh kind of getting that character aesthetic just like immediately down and then even the, the each of the individual characters too like for instance serathin the spellblade who i is based is as a gender flipped version of a WoW character that I have, um, and uh, but like basically I I had a very basic archetype for what she was like, and then I saw the art and I was like, oh, I'm gonna lean into this really hard, and that's when I wrote all of like the the super kind of uh, I mean it's like haughty elf trope stuff yeah, but yeah. i just thought it was funny like there's yeah. there's one line where she's like very bitter about losing a fight to colbjorn <laughs> that was maybe my favorite line in the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I, I remember it's like i can't fight a bear right like something like that yeah, it's, like, it's like i didn't lose i simply failed to win and also it's fucking cheating that he turned into a bear and i have a rapier <laughs> it's like, 
I don't know. I just thought that was funny. I also really enjoyed putting Colbjorn in the game, even though he was a, technically a druid and not a brawler. He's very different. He's like he's different in power to the Colbjorn of our Iron Gods days, but I feel like he is very similar in disposition. Yeah, yeah. No, of I just like wanting wanting a good tussle. <laughs> definitely got that. Uh. <sighs> All right. Uh, so, so, uh, so, you said that you each spent fifteen hours. So, my experience with um, with hackathon type things is no matter the how you format it, right? It's like everybody's in a room together for the fifteen hours together. And so, you know, even though you say you know it's like, you know, you know hours times number of members, you know, person hours of time. It sounds like you were doing that. Were you doing it in sequence, or were you all working together at the same time? We were, it was all, it was all remote and it was over the course of two weeks, right? Like I was still doing my actual right. job. It's just 15 hours of my job could be budgeted inside of these two weeks to Tavern Keeper. Okay. Um, I mean, if I'm being really honest, I probably spent more than 15 hours. Uh, I was, I was very strict with myself on time cause they gave us the time limit and I was like, I should be good about this time. But like I said, man, like when I was writing the quest text, which was the, no, no, I'm sorry, not the quest text. The very final thing I did was write the crit success, like success failure texts on, on the bottom of everybody's like sheets or whatever. Um, because I realized we had said that we were going to do that and nobody had done it. It was the day before it was done. The day before it needed to be done. And I was I was up at like 2 a.m., which is normal for me in a certain sense because of how I work. Like I typically work like five or six hours in the beginning of the day and then do, do stuff like this, the podcast, right? Or like play WoW with my friends or something like that. And then at the end of my night at like 11 p.m., I go back and I work for however many hours and so i was there and so i was like there at 2 a.m and i was like writing these and i was writing them super like super kind of quickly and off the cuff and i felt a little dirty too because like so only five of the characters were mine serath and kishra gonder grimgi and kolbjorn were characters that i made uh the other four were from kyle and i felt really dirty because i was like putting words in kyle's characters mouths even though i really like kyle's characters and i think that they were great um and i and i like knew kyle's characters because i um uh, I made, I wanted to create a, like, a diversified group so that there weren't people who were sort of, like, stepping on one another's toes in terms of sort of, like, personality, right? So, um, I tried to avoid, you know, Colbjorn is, like, bolsterous and fun rather than sort of, like, quiet and taciturn because Kragen was already sort of, like, yeah. quiet and taciturn, right? That kind of thing. Um... So, so yeah, so that's how it was, so that's how it was working. It was just, like, when people got to stuff, people got to stuff, and we were just, like, showing off whatever, uh, like, Drew actually finished first, like, our, the, the art guy, he, he, because art is so demanding, and so he basically was complete on the project maybe a week before it was, it was over, and was, uh, no, that's not, that's not quite true, he, a couple of days, though, um, just because getting, getting us all of the art used up all of his yeah. time basically immediately. Huh. So, so this this is an interesting thing, and this is this is a little bit outside of kind of like the specifics of Tavern Keeper, but sure. Um, uh, so I've like I said, I've done a couple different hackathons, um, and I've done and like um, I've heard this about other things. I so, like this is kind of like a, a thing, at least in industry, is that you know things that are independent, right, are generally kind of um, are you know are fine or whatever, like you're doing it for fun or whatever, but. Um, Something that sometimes a criticism that gets levied, at, especially at like these tech company hackathons, is that it's essentially a way to like 
pull more labor out of people and like by putting in the frame of a context you encourage them to work outside of normal working hours and it's kind of like taking their time and you know and you know part of part of this is that i think it's less common with game jams because games works on a very different plane especially the type of people that go to game like the type of companies that participate in game jams right but like when these features get turned into real product like that's built on like you know with essentially like voluntary but not really extra time right like you know like 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 something like a game you're working on it's obviously something you enjoy right like we're mm-hmm. hopefully right so like th- there's not as many of those concerns there but i know that like it's like well we stayed up all night doing this thing that might turn into a real product and you know our compensation is uh you know kudos at the end of the day right so like that's it's just an, an interesting kind of uh see the, i mean i get that obviously i don't know if i like so obviously all this stuff is owned I, I was yeah. paid by Akupara to right. participate in this and develop this for them, right? Like, obviously, you know, like, they own all of it. But to me, that's a that's a benefit. That's a right, feature, right. not a bug, right? Like, I think this is just the nature of being a games publisher and also developer inside of, like, this world. Like, there are so many people who are vying for our attention to put our eyes on their game and pick up their game so that we publish it, right? Um, that the game jam like let's say this isn't happening obviously um but let's say pie in the sky like we were talking about earlier uh tavern keeper does become a real thing i sort of took the like this is like the the fast lane you know what i mean (laughs) to getting a to getting a game like funded developed and published compared to uh something where you know I was doing Tavern Keeper on my own time and then trying to get it in consideration alongside right, right. all of these other games that we're working on, right? Like, you know, look, Tavern Keeper, this prototype is great, but imagine showing this prototype next to Grimes' prototype right. and being like, right. we should fucking publish Tavern Keeper, right? Like, I don't know. So I guess I get that. I mean, obviously, um, I think the the way that we went about this was like, uh, you know, the, like the right way to go about it, right? Like right, it sure. gave everybody a lot of time and it was really nice to have that time because it, me- it meant that we could kind of like iterate over the, co- over a couple of days and it wasn't, um, it wasn't like we were all, you know, if I needed to spend a night thinking about something and coming back to it, I could, or if I wanted to respond to Drew's art and change the way that I was writing the character dialogue, I could also do that. Um, which I liked a lot, and I was and I was I was happy like we had that sort of opportunity. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I don't really know anything about hackathons. So uh... I, I bet you part of this too is like anybody who's working at a games publisher likes games, right? Like there yeah. are there are a fair number of people I know, and you know I don't think there's anything wrong with this that were going to the places like uh, going to places that I worked um, to take home a paycheck, right? And like you know, and they, yeah, and, and so you know, telling them that you know. That they needed to stay on. Also, I think, you know, at least nor- like normal tech tends to skew slightly older. Like t- telling them that they needed to stay a night, you know, late into the night, and, like not see their children that night. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, it was voluntary, but like, you know, be a team player type of things. You know, mm. and, uh, I think that's that there's a little bit more in the mix there. To to the credit of the places that I, they, they paid us for it, right? Like we're rather, they... Um, they offered prizes. They offered like a, a real money prize, right? So like I got like we um, I at the first company, the first time we did two of them. The first time we did it, we we made a, a silly game, um, and we didn't win anything. The second time we made some <laughs> sort of like AI like based response to uh, 
um, to like a, a message thing. Um, it was very, very basic, but it was, I mean, we won a prize, so I got like, you know, a couple extra bucks on my paycheck for it. Um, and so I think that that kind of like dulls the, the, the pain there, but it, 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 it's, uh, it's, it, yeah, I think I would actually, I, I think I actually prefer the way that we did it. Yeah. Just adding it to my like regular hour. Like, you know, I we worked really hard on Tavern Keep and I'm super proud Oh my God! Hello, King Fat in the chat. I love you guys, buddy. Mango, you guys are the best. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so the I don't know who this is, but I that makes my day. Um, but so like obviously it Ta Tavern Keeper is maybe the best that you can come out with in terms of like game jam stuff, right? Like we pretty clearly set scope on that second meeting after the first, you know, like after right. the first Friday meeting that next Monday, we set our scope and we hit that scope right on bullseye and right. came out with a product, you know, like something that is, that is really solid. It's really easy for other game jams to go over and under scope. This is something we, we heard all the time when we were talking about like, Oh, we're doing it to game jam at the end of, end of de December. And I was talking to like other people we were working with. They were saying like, Oh man, game jams always scope out of control and they become a huge mess because of it, which is why I was so conservative at first, right? Mm -hmm. um, or the opposite is also true, right? Where you kind of scope something out and then it seems like solid, but it doesn't actually really materialize once you're done, but you don't, but you don't have any time to iterate or fix on it. You basically just sort of had the dock and it took a, it took enough time to create the prototype and the prototype is a dud that can also happen in you know in game jams or whatever and i'm very glad that didn't happen in tavern keeper and in a certain sense i actually think it didn't happen in tavern keeper because of that strategy interaction of the limited number of quests the limited number of adventurers it thing right like maybe if some of those rules were different like if i had if i had put in different rules than there that interaction which i think is really the core of tavern keeper would have created a a very just i don't know underwhelming yeah i, I also wonder how much of this is due to um kind of like like your format which is kind of like 15 hours spread out over two weeks right whereas yeah. like most game gyms are like you know 48 hours inside of a you know gymnasium yeah yeah 48 hours in 48 hours go right like you know like you know you know, you you can do things in stages, right? Like you you can like do yep. the design document and pass it off without like burning time, right? Like mm -hmm. the, like the programmer can take their fifteen hours after they know what they need to do instead of trying to you know do something concurrently, right? And um, yeah, nobody did anything until I wrote out the first draft of the of the design document, and then we built our first build, which was that Friday, right? So the, it started on Monday. I wrote the design document Monday and Tuesday. Um, we made the, you know, the first prototype. We had all the first passes on the basic, like, UI, you know, like that basic tavern window, the, the tavern keeper, you know, figure herself. The next Monday, we did character profiles, which were done by Tuesday, I'm pretty sure. And then all of our writing was just, like, the rest of the week. Though, like, the quests and everything, like, that was all done pretty, pretty much right off the bat. Um... Though I ended up tweaking it on the second pass because that's when we added traits and everything like that. Yeah, game jams are wild. This was it was honestly a lot of fun. It was like it was like the greatest thing, uh, and um, I I I don't know. I, no, it's I mean it sounds like it. Sounds, it's, 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 <laughs> I mean the I know the product that I played was awesome. Um, are you are you guys putting out like did you guys have multiple teams working on this or, or is there yep, more coming? Yep, so we had three total teams. The next one comes out in three days. 
on Thursday. So ours came out last Thursday. The next one comes out this Thursday. The last one comes out the final Thursday in uh, January. And all three of them, like like Tavern Keeper, will be absolutely free on itch.io and Game Jolts under their own you know pages. So you know you can download them, play them. Uh, there's going to be blogs from the design. Like I, I wasn't on either of those teams. Obviously, I was only on Tavern Keeper. Certain people bled between teams. Kyle was on two teams, which is why I picked up half of the you know like the writing on Tavern Keeper because he was spread between two groups um and you know uh yeah so i get i i don't want to i don't want to reveal anything about the next ones but the next ones are very cool actually the third one is really cool and like stupid but like also great in like a great way <laughs> uh and i'll probably plug those in the end of those podcasts so yeah it's definitely it's definitely a, a lot of fun uh to to play uh to, to play tavern keeper so yeah yeah you played a game that i designed manga yeah. that feels so weird to say yeah hey you know. i'd never expected people to buy into this idea to be honest but you know what are you gonna do well we're, we're at about an hour uh how was uh your week how's your week been uh i want i want you to guess what i've been playing all week is it <laughs> tavern keeper no it's wow yeah i would say is it final fantasy 14 is it Guild yeah, Wars yeah, too. I, I finally made the jump to Final Fantasy fourteen after years <laughs> I've made that jump. Um Yeah, so I've been playing World of Warcraft. Um I went really hard on my Mythics chest this week, which I feel really like good about. I've completed my very first ten. So I've cracked the final affix. Do, do you do you know how this stuff works? I, I remember vaguely, but why don't you explain it for the audience? Okay, okay, for for the for the audience at home, right? This is this is how Mythic Plus works, right? You complete a Mythic Zero, right? Dungeons have just uh, a scaling number of difficulties, normal, heroic, Mythic. Once you complete a Mythic Zero, you get a key. The key says it has a number and it has a dungeon, and you go to that dungeon and you plug in the key and it activates Mythic Plus. This is what Mythic Plus is, right? Mythic Plus scales the damage of the enemies inside of that inside of that dungeon based on the key size, right? So a plus two will scale them by a certain amount. A plus three will be more, plus four will be more, plus five will be more, right? All the way up until you're fighting essentially raid bosses as a five-man group, right? Um, the But as you attain those key levels, you're also attaining what are called affixes that change the makeup of the individual dungeons, right? So this week, for instance, once you hit plus two, the very first level of keys, um, you activate Tyrannical, which says all of the bosses do more damage and have more health, right? It makes the bosses hard, and it essentially keeps the trash mostly the same, right? Um, at 4, you activate Raging, which says the trash, when it gets low, it enrages itself, and it deals 100% more damage from 30%. To, to zero, right? So if you're whittling down a whole trash pack together and they all proc 30%, well, all of a sudden they're doing twice as much damage as they as they used to. That's what Raging says. At seven, you proc Explosive. Explosive generates these little orbs, and the, the orbs have like one hit point. They actually technically have like 150, but that's essentially one hit from anything in any class in the game. Um, if you don't destroy the orb, it blows up and it deals like a lot of damage, like 50% of everyone's health damage, um, and they spawn next to anybody engaged in combat, right? So, if you uh, if you, like, tag a, a guy and he's 
50 feet away, he will spawn explosive orbs next to himself 50 feet away, and somebody has to go hit that hit that orb. And then finally at 10 is what's called the season-wide affix, which is just a specific affix for, like, the season that is the, the capstone of sort of, like, difficulty in terms of the affixes, which is called Prideful, which basically says once you kill enough trash, you'll spawn a big boy. The big boy will... The, will fight you and then you kill him and then he gives and then he gives you a buff for a minute that's 40 percent damage 40 percent healing 40 percent move speed for, for like a minute so prideful is all about killing the right amounts of trash to spawn a prideful and take that prideful to the boss or take that prideful to a really tough trash pack or take that prideful wherever you think taking that prideful is useful um we had done we had attempted one dungeon but we very clearly were like this is way out of our league no way we're gonna get this done um and then this week we did a very kind of true push which felt great we went from actually it wasn't a true push it was a we did a seven and we failed it so it dropped down to a six but then we did the six and we two chested so it went up to an eight and then we did eight nine ten all the way up and that was that was that was cool. So this is like sort of the first time that I've like had that ability to sort of like walk the keys up in terms of difficulty and in terms of like coping with the new affixes, right? Like the difference between a six and a seven was pretty huge because the thing that was really fucking us over were the explosive uh, orbs that kept spawning um, because of certain boss interactions that we hadn't anticipated, which was rough. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. That was that was that was my week. Mm -hmm. No, very, very cool. I, I'm going to say that uh, I, uh, so I just did two mythics to do the uh, weeklies, um, like the, the, the broker weeklies. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have the day off today because it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in the good old US of A. Um, and uh, it was my first time like really do like I had done some uh, mythic zero and mythic two, I think before, but like that, that had been it. Um, and it's like, you know, I because it's relatively you know it's it's more than three weeks after the season has started, so you know no one has any tolerance for like not knowing what you're doing, um, and I didn't know some of what I was doing, so I like kept screwing up things in in the other side. But um, uh, uh, in Plaguefall, uh, it was the key holder actually who was who was screwing up, like you know the the Margrave just like like fuck fucked him up real bad, and like we we kept. Well, I mean, it was interesting to kind of play around with these things. Um, I really like that Margrave fight because the difficulty ramp up from normal to mythic is almost entirely in the patterns of tentacles. Like, they have just harder tentacle patterns in Mythic, which I think is a really cool, like, sort of difficulty thing. It's, like, very easy to dodge the tentacles. You get a lot of time in Normal, and then they kind of, like, shorten the time, and then they make those really tough patterns in Mythic that it's, like... I don't know. It's just like uh, yeah. an interesting interaction. The thing, the thing that threw me off the most was the, um, the div like the the extra ads that spawn. Um, oh yeah. Because like it's not in the journal, and so I'm like, oh, am I supposed to like you know, DBM isn't telling me to kill them, and so like am I supposed to ignore them? And it's like you know, you know, maybe that's me being a little bit too reliant on on, on DBM, but it's like I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. I'm just gonna. I actually think those sorts of things are the. You know, so I've been doing a lot of mythics over the course of uh, over the course of the expansion so far. So I have like a lot of deep mastery of certain of of like certain dungeons, like Theater of Pain. Man, I am a monster at Theater of Pain. I could tell you every pull, like 
individually what you have to do, like all of the little nuances of that dungeon or whatever. And I think that that's actually one of the cool things is that like, you know, when you do Mythic Zero, a lot of times you're just brute forcing these mechanics and so you don't really like see them or contend with them. But like those guys that spawn, you actually kind of have to blitz them down in when we were doing Plaguefall in 7 because they spawn explosive orbs. And so it's like, if they, you leave them up, they're just going to keep spawning orbs, and it's going to be tough to deal with, and one of those goes off, right? Like, that's really dangerous in the boss fight. Um, and it's, like, those kinds of things that, uh, I don't know, that, that become interesting and, like, fun, I guess, about, uh, about Mythics. And it also separates, you know, like, I have friends who are like good raiders i would say for instance but i don't think that they're like good high level mythics players and it's because they don't know the dungeons as well as like the, the and the the specific nuances of like the fights as well as uh i do or like the other people that i run a lot with do and so like you know they'll ha they'll be having trouble with like a seven key that we've like knocked out of the park and one of the funny things is actually plague fall is one of our worst dungeons because we never do it we like we're always gravitating towards these dungeons that we know really well like theater of pain um but so we've been like we have to do necrotic wake we have to do plague fall to get that mastery of these dungeons down because like we just don't have it yet what were you screwing up in the other side? I'm actually interested. Uh, so um, it was actually nothing until the final boss. Like I, I was actually pretty good. Like I, you, you told me about that button, so I pressed the button as an engineer, and I used the vases pretty well. I felt good about that. Oh, uh, but, uh, the button. Uh, but um, in the final fight, people like were calling out like directions. And I was like, what are they talking about? And then I realized that I was just like not dropping the ball from, um, from like the big like the boss like hits you with a like a uh, Muzala hits you with the, with the thing that like lets makes you drop a ball behind and I was mm -hmm. just like kind of and I didn't realize it left something behind so I was kind of like standing somewhere like not in in range of anybody else and that was not placing in a good spot and because I was like fucking that up I also was like I got hit by way too many of his like left right attacks because I was like oh I was you know monks are fairly agile and so you know it's it's great for like you know being able to get out of situations but like when you run out of things to move yourself it's kind of like well fuck and i can't couldn't do you use uh the torpedo or the multiple rolls torpedo okay that's interesting we, i was i was talking with Lindley about it who was also a monk and he was like i moved off the torpedo because i just realized that having more rolls was more important to me than having the torp like the big long yeah. torpedo and then the move speed after the torpedo sort of thing yeah, tor torpedo is also dangerous because like you can overroll and like put yourself somewhere you're not supposed to be um part of it for me though is that like i don't so because he's carrying um i can use the shapeshift on uh on ardenwield to or Night Fade to, to it's like another set of roles essentially, right? So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's 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 a lot of flexibility there. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I like that Muzala fight a lot because it is one of those like basic to advanced fights in a certain sort of sense. Like, so um, we we always try and like one phase it, and we've gotten to a point where I can just sort of say like, okay, your bottom left, your top right, your you know like, and I can assign people portals, and we all know where to go. But in a pug that can actually be really, like, weird, because, like, he creates the four... The, he does Shadow Reality, the four portals spawn. And what you want to do is you want to put one person on each of the portals, 
or and then the tank and the healer on one portal, and then you get all of the totems down in one go, and you all come back to Muzala and you and you beat them in, and that's one phasing Muzala, right? Um, but it does require some like real coordination. Like what we do is we we take what we assign everybody to a portal, everybody takes their own portal, and then we lust there so that everybody can get their totem down. And then we come back, but but just lust, and then we save all of our cooldowns, and then we come back, and then you get that big haste buff from Bonsamdi, and um and that's when you just like end the boss with this big haste buff. You're using all of your like personal cooldowns and stuff like that. And I think that stuff is like really neat, right? Like it's kind of like um you know it's kind of like figuring out a raid strat, but we did yeah. it ourselves. Yeah, or whatever. No, that that that's awesome. Um. Something that I, I will say that I'm very happy about is uh, I decided instead of building the legendary I was supposed to, I uh, upgraded my Touch of Death legendary, um, and it works, nice. it works really well in Mythic Plus just because, like, you know, you're constantly, like, you know, like, every minute I can, like, just knock something off, right? Like um, I think in Mythic Plus that's got to be the best one. Like, there's no way that when legendary is as good uh, in, in Mythic Plus. Because if you think about it, you're adding your health in like 37 times over every minute you're you're nuking yeah. somebody that's just like an insane amount of damage i actually did a torgast twisting corridors with linley where i had a really good build and i was like top dps and then he got the touch of death powers and all of a sudden he just like kept shooting up i was like there's no way i can compete with this he's a tank building tank stuff but now that means his health pool is like 300k and he's just like you know nuking these guys like these like trash mobs or whatever but yeah it's pretty funny yeah no it's 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 a fucking fantastic uh especially like um, I find that the, the the dungeon bosses tend to be a little bit like like they have mechanics that like let you use it more right like um, in raid there's like less less stuff to interact with individually right and like mm -hmm. um, especially like even on like a single target raid thing right like in order to use it effectively you need to time it so that like because if you do it like you either do a third of your health to a, an enemy under fifteen percent. Or you do your full health if they've got less than you. So, like, on a bigger enemy, you have to actually time it so that you're hitting it at the right moment uh, to kill them. Which is, like, I, I think uh, I think something that gets missed in some of it. But, like, it, it's just, like, not as effective in the raid, right? Like, it's effective maybe in, like, we've talked about this in the Sun King one. Um, but even yeah. then, it's still, like, not, like, a ton of little things, right? Like, it's... it's. Uh... Yeah, I have the same sort of interaction. Like, my very first legendary was pretty basic. It just adds a mortal strike to my 45-second cooldown Ravager. Um, but in Raid... But then I built a second one called Battle Lord, um, which says Slam, which is my filler attack, has a 40% chance to reset the cooldown of Myrtle Strike and make it cost a bunch less rage or whatever. Um, the nice thing about raid was it actually makes battle lord very good because you're just for you that you are sitting and dpsing the boss you're going through your full rotation but if i'm out in the open world i'm actually not really using slam all that much and like slam to reset the mortal strike cooldown on just like a random mob is just like not even that like not even that useful so i definitely do think that there are like different legendaries that are useful for um different kind of tasks yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm actually surprised. I'm looking at, it's like, best Mythic Plus legendaries, and they still say the... Uh, Invoker's Delight. Invoker's Delight is the best for all of them, which I'm just like, wow, that is not what I would expect to see. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's supposed to be, it's a huge haste buff, and I haven't used it, so maybe, you know, maybe it just makes your rotations that much better, but uh, I don't know. 
Uh, although, uh, you know, as, as chat informs us, uh, your time to execute won't kill you, which is... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Shadow Priest, Shadow Word Death reflex, like, rebounds the damage back into you if it doesn't kill the target. Uh, so, big yikes. Though I will say I have a lot of experience with killing myself using abilities because I've been doing a lot of Torghast on Gondor, my Demonology Warlock, and one of the epic powers in Torghast says, so, the way Demonology works is you're casting Hand of Gul'dan, which is this, like, meteor, and then, depending on the amount of soul shards you have, a bunch of little imps pop out of the meteor and start shooting your guy. So you're, like, generating, you know, anywhere between, like, 5 and 20 imps that are just kind of following you around, plinking away at, at your targets. There's a Torghast power that says Hand of Gul'dan no longer costs soul shards. It costs 10% of your max HP. Or uh, your current health, actually, technically. So you just spam Hand of Gul'dan, and you get a million of these little imps or whatever, but you're also, like, nuking yourself while doing it, which is pretty funny. Yeah. So the Torghast stories, have you have you played the, with the beasts of Torghast stuff that they yeah. did this mm -hmm. week? Mm -hmm. Um, I did uh, I did one solo run this week where I powered up my beast in a very satisfying in a very satisfying way I guess uh, how are you finding the 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 beasts of prodigium so I I had a very similar kind of experience because like I picked up the power that um, like shares healing I picked up the power that when it dies it falls over and then I got some health on it but then I picked up the a couple of the ones that are like does more damage but drains health. And so, yeah, like, I, I had that exact same thing, and it became this like walking nuke, basically. Yeah. And well, if you get the split health thing, while it's regenerating health, it's healing you with it. It, it heals you, for, yeah. which is like great. <laughs> Just like walk in, like let the beast do some damage, then it falls over, like nukes everything, and then starts healing you. It's great. It's, it's fantastic. I also. I had a lot of fun with it, though. People are really complaining about it, and I get that, I guess. Um, I don't know. It's like, this kind of stuff I have a hard time getting mad about, because I feel like if we didn't have these special powers or whatever, Torghast would feel even more like a like a slog that people are already complaining about. I just feel like, you know, man, sometimes the WoW community just really likes to fucking complain. Yeah. No, I mean, part of, part of the issue here is going to be that, like... Like, I'm already feeling, like, because I have the Execute or I have the Fatal Touch Legendary, I, like, all, like, nearly every run I'm on, like, without even trying to, I'll get to zero CD, uh, you know, Fatal Touch, which makes, you know, it makes the, the actual floors um, uh, not, what's the word, trivial. I mean, the boss is a little bit, of, but it's like, you know, I'm just walking through, like, Fatal Touch, Fatal Touch, Fatal Touch, Fatal Touch, Fatal Touch, and that's, like, all I do for the... The entire fight, except for like the elite mobs, but yeah. Yeah, I have a similar experience. There's a warrior power called the Voracious Culling Blade, which like you use execute 30 times, and then you can just execute whenever you want. Execute is the hardest hitting ability, and it's just be and it just becomes one one. You're all you just one button execute all the time. Don't cast anything else. Just cast execute. That's it. And um and I do like that in certain situations because like sometimes I you just want a one button kind of offensive power to take care of my offense. That is just all the damage I need. One voracious calling blade and like a couple of ones that increase your rage generation will basically get you there. Which is neat because it also means that like you can kind of like pick up some of the other powers um to sort of like uh fill out your tough like make you tougher or uh add kind of like group utility or something kind of along those lines but um there's a lot of times where i see voracious culling blade and i choose the other power because it's boring mm. yeah no it's it's 
it's it's it's weird because like I don't know. I I have never like I I ran uh, a group one with you once, but like I maybe it's just the nature of monk, but like I I have feel no need to do grouped. Uh, like maybe for like endless like the 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 last what, what was it called uh twisting corridors twisting yeah corridors. i highly recommend doing twisting corridors in a group because people are people are expressing a lot of uh pain because the, the final bosses are tough or whatever but i think honestly twisting corridors is just built for you to have a tank in your party mm. like we did twisting corridors with people who were like f- you know basically failing out of 18 floor runs because they get to the final boss and they just can't kill it which sucks that's terrible right but i just went into tank spec and i was building all of the health powers all of the dr powers or whatever and we got to that final boss and basically just having a tank there to keep its attention lets everybody just like we call it ore 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 you know like the uh the anime like ore 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 on the on the boss and it dies so no i mean i actually also just really like doing twisting torridors in a group it is just funner in my opinion to do i'm to do torgas in a group i I definitely would buy that for twisting corridors because like i did i did the first twisting corridors floor because there's like a you know a quest for it i did it i Mm -hmm. I did i did it all by my like I, i i managed to get it my first time and like before i hit the sixth floor i had the touch of death build and it's just kind of like thing and then like it was like boring and then like stressful because things started to outscale my health as you went up the <laughs> and then boring again because like i picked like at one point i had like a ton of health and like the power that that procs touch of death to like 500 things so like like just like mass clearing things like well what <laughs> bonk 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 um and then the final boss was like really stressful because it was like what did i do so this is for all you monks out there. This is some this is some monk tech. There is a a common power called like ever tumbling stone, and it's thirty seconds after you pick up the power or after you enter a floor. Every yard you roll um, gives you a second of immunity. So, if you have there's one at the vendor before the boss, you like right before you go, you pick it up and you just roll straight to the boss and you're like immune for to all damage for 45 seconds and you just try and kill it within that 45 seconds because otherwise you know it's like it's like i'm either gonna get this now or i'm not gonna get it i'm not gonna get out of this forest so it's just like you know like slamming my fingers on the keyboard but it, it uh yeah it worked out um oh that's the other thing too is i discovered like even if you can't out health the boss you can like once it's below 50 percent, you could just spam touch of death over and over again and it's like it's that i guess that is nice yeah i actually basically Anything that doesn't help me on the boss, I almost always don't take that power anymore. Yeah. I never take Maw Rat powers unless, like, I absolutely have to. Right. I would rather take, like, I don't know, what's the worst power you can possibly think of? I, I would rather take that than, like, the exploding Maw Rat power. Because the it, I, I think about inflection point. The inflection point of am I going to complete this run or not is almost always the final boss, right? Right. I mean, I've definitely had tough times. I've definitely wiped inside of you know high level high layer you know floors where i'm like taking on too many elites or something or we don't pull something right or a crucial spell doesn't get interrupted but like very rarely do my number of deaths actually outpace my ability to just like generically clear through like the floor itself so in just sort of a water finds a crack way i basically never take powers that don't add throughput on the boss yeah no i i definitely i definitely get that it's just because touch of death is so like like i have had times where i've had a couple like actually both runs that i've that i've done since i like focused on it 
um, all no three. Or, it's been three or four at this point, where like I will get like out of like a drop like you know one option, and it's the touch mm-hmm. of death to cooldown. And if I get two of those, I have no cooldown on touch of death. So you know it's like even and in two of them, I have gotten a third one which does nothing. But it's like, well, what am I gonna do? I can't not you know take it. So. Yeah, I, I feel like certain classes have, like, interesting powers, and certain classes have, like, not great powers. Um, we we talked about this a little bit. Like, Rogue, the most impactful power in Rogue is a common power that says, like, when you use a finishing move, your next combo point generator deals more damage. Which just, like, that power alone increases so much damage. Or even just, like, the Hellfire Pact, which says your summoned demons, as a warlock, your summoned demons do 50% more damage, when most of my damage comes from little imps that are plinking away with their, like, you know, 100 damage bolts, getting those to be 150 damage bolts is huge, right? And it does feel a little weird to be, like, picking up this common ability and having that be, like, the lion's share of your DPS contribution. I actually have realized that part of this is spec stuff, right? Which I, I think is tough for the Torghast designers to sort of walk, because you can change your spec inside of Torghast at the specific like levels or whatever. So they actually have to make every single power useful, no matter what spec you're in, right? It'll just change what the active abilities are. Um, but I, I was mistakenly under the impression that you could do... Uh, like you could find like spec specific powers powers that would only interact with like arms warrior for instance but that is not that is just not the case um which you know that's tough yeah yeah although how does that work with um the ones that give you talents i i think there's just a generic talent talent on each of the trees that it that it goes to so if you look at a talent tree it's always the left Right. Le- the the left side of the tree is always passive. The right side of the tree is always active. So it always just gives you what is uh, what is on the left side of that tree. As far as I know, there might be ones where where it'll give you a passive in the middle row because sometimes the middle is active, sometimes it's passive. But um, right. But if you if you picked a talent, like if you got one of those and it was one you already had, and you picked another one and then you switch specs, does it like hold it over, or does it? Uh, probably not. Yeah. I'm sure it just finds like a different talent. Yeah, or the, the same one, the one in the same position or something. Yeah, yeah. I bet. That, I bet that's what it is. The one in the same position. Yeah. I've never done it, but you know, hey. Well, because because like if you have the talent that it's going to give you, it, it lets you pick it. It lets you pick one for free, right? Like one in the same row. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, any what else? I you know, what else has happened this week? I uh I played some modern war, not modern war, Black Ops Cold War. Um, it is being slightly. Misleading. I heard they released zombies and it's fun. Yeah, I haven't played zombies. Never. I'm... That's it. I saw a tweet. It said they released zombies and also zombies is fun. <laughs> um, it's free this week. Is is what it is. Uh, I think it's released with the game. I don't think it. It's been. It's like the the actual mode's been around for a while, but it's it's a free week for it. Um, oh, that would actually make sense. I don't even see it on. Uh, I have like my my like launcher thing curated so that it's only games that I care about and I don't so I don't have any of these Call of Duty. Uh, yeah. And otherwise this week I watched a lot of YouTube cooking channels, which is what I do every week. So you know I have watched a lot of action button. I got Ooh. very hooked on action button oh, after watching the Tokimeki Memorial and I've now watched all of it and I am back to watching Tokimeki Memorial. <laughs> 
So he's got some because it's just satisfying. He's got some older stuff from um from he was at Kotaku, Kotaku right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I would look up his dragon, um, dragon. What's what's the famous one that everybody quest? Yeah, Dragon Quest Eleven review. I thought was very good. Um, I actually still need, I need to go watch the Final Fantasy Seven remake. It's the only one of his that I haven't seen, but I think at least from what I've seen of him, um, in the action button era, I thought he like really hit his stride with Doom, um, like. I thought I thought Last of Us Two wasn't as good as Doom was, but um, Doom and Doom Forward has been phenomenal. Pac Man, uh, Tokimeki Memorial, and apparently Cyberpunk, or I think Cyberpunk's the next one. But um, is it? No way. Yep. Well, he said he was like building to Cyberpunk. Yeah. I imagine there was going to be like one more in between. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh. Uh. So if if you are this is you know shout out to Tim Rogers if you're his patron. You know how in the middle of Tokamaki Memorial, he's like, I was going to put like a 20-minute intermission here to convince you to leave? Um, he released yep. that on his Patreon. Um, <laughs> um, and it's uh, it, it's uh, it's entertaining, you know. Especially, you know, I might have been annoyed if in the middle of the six-hour thing that I was trying to watch six hours, if, if, you know, if it had been there. But it's, you know, standing alone, it's a, it's a fun thing to watch. The funny thing is, is that I actually, to be honest with you, from being real... I don't think he is as insightful as other people. Like, so for instance, um, I, I talk about this guy all the time, Aaron Signal, like Campster. He has a review of Doom. And the way that he talks about Doom in 20 minutes, I think, is maybe more really insightful to Doom than the three-hour Tim Rogers review. Um, but just like... On a purely sort of, like, aesthetic level of just the stories are funny and, like, the way that he writes is funny and captivating and engaging, I just kind of, like, ride the wave and it's, like, I don't know, it's very easy, to I guess, to just, uh, to just like, vibe to yeah. compared to some of, like, the really, like, hard, deep criticism out there. Um, it was specific with the Doom one, right? Because um, I've, n I've played Doom... But, like, I know Doom almost universally through critic YouTube videos about Doom. Right. Right? Um, and so seeing his sort of, quote-unquote, take on it, I was actually kind of surprised at how little... Like, I kind of just felt like he sort of basically scratched the surface on it, right? Um, and and offered sort of, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was platitudes. Much, I was going to say, it was much more about, like the culture surrounding Doom than it was about Doom. And I think this is very... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? And, that's, and that's exactly what I'm saying. That stuff, I think, is great and really, like, like fun to watch. But in the context of, like, a video game review, it's really not that. Yeah. Right? I, I, uh, I thought, I thought like, the Tokimeki, Toko, Tokimeki Memorial stuff, like, got a lot deeper in there, right? Like, about kind of, like, the nature of, like, what... Like, the, the kind of, like, realization that what, what you were... Like, the, the part about... You know, you are authoring a story and you have to write it correctly in order for the game to complete correctly, right? Like, I thought, I thought, yeah, that was I, I agree with that 100%. Like, to be honest, the thing with Doom, I think that kind of like maybe I'm complaining about here is there's that point where he talks about like Doom has mods, wads, right? Therefore, all games kind of Doom begat all games, and to play all of Doom is to play all of games since then, which I just think is just like... That's that's like beginning a, an essay, the Webster's Dictionary defines, like, come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. People learn from big, important games, Tim Rogers, right? Obviously. Well, it's, it's, it's <laughs> you funny, know? but yes, I like, agree with you. The, the arc of, like, that theme <laughs> is, like, Pac-Man, 
which is Pac-Man has come a long way since itself, right? Like, which is yeah, like, I actually think that it works so much better in Pac-Man because he shows you Pac-Man and then all of these variants of it and it demonstrates in really clear, straightforward terms, actually, I think, why the original Pac-Man is the best incarnation of it. And, like, even though, you know, there's there's new variations on like the theme or whatever and those can be individually good they never quite get to that sort of like perfection um but i don't know it's just such a cop-out to say like oh yeah to to play all of doom is to play fucking every call of duty like shut the fuck up that's <laughs> bullshit get out of here with this shit <laughs> you know like i don't <laughs> but like but the you know the the story that he tells about his just like hateful angry friend who like really loves the violence like first of all nobody ever admits to this but like i was like personally affected by that because i also have very vivid memories of like playing video games with like friends of mine who got really weirdly into the violence or whatever and like that stuff is like also very evocative even if it is just you know its relationship to doom is pretty tangential right yeah yeah yeah, I mean, it's... or like the conversation in college. How many conversations in college did I have with people that looked exactly like his conversation with that guy? You know, fifteen years. Well, uh, I don't know how old is he. Ten years. Uh, Ten years. Uh, before before I ever you yeah. know like went to college or whatever about video games. I mean, for us it was like Dota, maybe. I don't know. What's what's a good what, what, what's Mass Effect. Mass Effect, maybe. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe Call of Duty by then, because Call of Duty Modern Warfare came yeah, up. No, yeah, we that's, that's, that's then. Yeah, so, so like the kind of scene where it's like you know everybody's sitting around watching people play. Like that happened. In, this was I think before we hung out a lot, but um, mm-hmm, uh, that mm-hmm. happened in my dorm room sophomore year, right? Like yep. I, I brought an Xbox and we played like either Modern Warfare or or uh, Street Fighter, and we'd all just sit around talking like you know on a on a Friday night or, or something. Occasionally Smash, right? Like, um, you know, it was, it's uh it. That that was that that was kind of like the the oeuvre, right? Like, um, yeah. Um, and Doom is kind of like iconic of like that generation. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about because like, like Call of Duty is kind of that for the current age. That and like I guess like maybe like the, the sports games, right? Like FIFA or or, or Madden. But like, mm-hmm. um, gaming has spread out so so far. Like Doom kind of was that in a lot of ways because there wasn't a lot else to. To, to ping at that point in time, right? Like he's, he's, I think just over 40. Um, yeah. So. I also think that I, I think of games in terms of lineages sometimes. Um, and like the lineage of doom, I think of myself in a certain sense as like a child of doom, even though I never played first person shooters because the lineage of doom, I actually think there's an offshoot of doom, which is sort of like quake two lobbies and servers and that kind right. of thing. And then, that's where StarCraft comes out of. And I think of that branch as, like, hugely important to my charted path of, like, video game history, if that makes sense. Um, because, like, you know, like, I remember when I was in, like, middle school, I used to go to my dad's office and uh, and at five my dad would be like working or something like that. And all of the tech guys would go to computers on the network and they would load up quake. And we would have these giant quake matches in like the, and I don't know why they were playing with me. These guys are all like, you know, in their twenties, like it people or, you know, whatever associates and shit. And they let like me like a 12 year old, you know, 
play play quick with them. But I vividly remember, right, like how much fun that was to to get everybody in like a big land, just like killing these shit out of each other. Um, and so, uh, with mods too, I I I remember mods because uh, one of the guys was Optimus Prime, and he had voice lines, which is weird. Uh, like the Optimus Prime voice lines were playing, and I was like, this is magic. But <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so like I think that uh, I don't know. I don't. What, what are we talking about? Tim Rogers is great. Yeah. I guess is my is my final point. I also think the Tokimeki Memorial is so much better because he narrates the playthroughs. That part is golden. <laughs> I just die laughing. He's like, you know, she called me Bubbas. <laughs> I just like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kids, good stuff. His kids is magical. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we've gone over time, um, but uh, yeah. uh, if you'd like to email us. Shit, I didn't even talk about being a hardcore WoW capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We were going to talk about that. Uh, maybe next time we'll talk about in-game <laughs> markets. Um, but uh, if uh, you'd like to email us about what you think of World of Warcraft or Tavern Keeper or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at podcast.com. Or um, so the games gmail.com, rate and review us on iTunes or uh, wherever you can find us, which is nearly everywhere. Um, uh, and uh, that's everything I had. But do you have anything else you want to promote? I do have one thing I'm promote. One, Buddy Gets Good is returning this week. I don't remember what I'm playing, but I'm streaming is this week. Tavern so the, the, it is not Tavern <laughs> Keeper. I'm playing. I am playing Tavern Keeper, but that's probably going to be so. I'm going to play Tavern Keeper when all of the games have been released. So the first week in February, February 5th, I'll be playing Tavern Keeper on stream and also the other two games because we're going to do all of them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do all of them in one stream. But this week, I'm playing something else. I think it's Rain World, actually. Um, What's Rain World? I don't think I've heard of it. Rain World, it's not a game that we published, but it's a game that we ported. Okay. Uh, but I'm good friends with uh, a guy who does Rain World stuff, and I wanted to give him a little shout-out. Riv, if you're watching, it's for you. Um, and then also, pay attention to, I guess, the Aquapar Twitter for on Thursday, and also our YouTube page, because we're going to set another video live uh, for the next two videos. Those are both coming, or the, the next two games, those are both coming out on Thursday. So this Thursday, then next Thursday. Um, and of course... Um, the Tavern Keeper is live right now, so you can go play that at Itch or Game Jolt. Will Will the uh, future games also come with contests, or uh, or is it one for each or something? Or I honestly put the, the did the contest thing at like the last fucking second, and I put it in the email. But then I was like, well, I put it in the email, so I have to do it everywhere. Um, so I don't know off the off the top of my head. I the the Tavern Keeper lends itself towards contested because it's timed and it's high scored. Right. Uh, the other games I don't believe have that same sort of functionality. But who knows? Maybe they will. Well, uh, pay attention to the Aquapar Games Twitter, then I guess. Um, uh, yeah, pay attention to the Aquapar Games Twitter. And with sure. that, I'll say uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>